0: And we wanted to say welcome, thank you for coming to be a part of this service We are so glad that you're here And if you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Luke Book of Luke And we are still in chapter 4 Studying uh, through the scripture together And we're going to pick up right where we left off a couple weeks ago So we find ourselves in Luke chapter 4 this morning While you're fighting your spite I, I heard about these three sisters one was 96 one was 94 and one was 92 and they all lived together in this big house one day the 96 year old was upstairs and uh, she was drawing a bath and uh, she put one foot in and then she stopped and she said I can't remember if I was getting in or if I was getting out and so she hollered down and Then the 94-year-old said, well, hang on a second, and I'll come help you. And she started climbing up the stairs, and she got halfway, and she stopped. And she said, I can't remember if I was going up or if I was coming down. The 92-year-old, she laughed, and she said, I hope I don't ever get as bad as you guys. And she knocked on wood for good luck. And she said, I'll come help both of you as soon as I see who's at the door. We live in a world today where there's a lot of folks who don't know if they're coming or if they're going. There is, I would say, more confusion than any time in recent history, more chaos, more just uh, absurd things going on all around us. We live in a world that is full of relativism and acceptance. Relativism means that your knowledge, your, your morals, they exist only in relation to culture only in relation to the time that you live in history. In other words, there's no absolute standard. There's no absolute right and wrong. What's good for you may not be good for me. That view of life affects every other aspect of our living. It affects our legal system, it affects our morality, and it certainly affects our theology. Years back when Oprah was really big, y'all remember Oprah, you watched Oprah a little bit? I watched this week, she was interviewing with some folks, and they got on the topic of religion. And there was a, a lady, and she was talking about how Jesus is the only way to be saved. And Oprah stood back, and she said, no, that can't be. It cannot be that there is only one way to salvation because you see you may have a way and I can have a way and they might be different but they lead to the same place at the end and that is a belief system that many have bought into and even today we see the effects of it that idea has permeated our society and most folks today believe that if I am a good enough person then I will earn salvation and so there are folks who are trying to be good, but I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is an absolute There is something we stand on, and that is the Word of God. It's not about my opinion this morning. It's not about your opinion this morning. It's not about what I like or what you like. The reason we gather together is to stand upon the Holy Word of God because it is our absolute standard in life. And Jesus does not mix words. He makes it very clear that there is one way to salvation and that is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ the question before us today is what is your response to Jesus what is your response to Jesus Jesus demands a response and every single one of us have and will make a response that response must be decisive because neutrality is not an option In fact, Jesus says that neutrality is, in fact, opposition. He says in Matthew 12, whoever is not with me is against me. When it comes to our faith, you cannot ride the fence. When it comes to Jesus, you cannot go halfway. When it comes to Jesus, you cannot hedge your bets and put some in and hold some back for yourself. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it means that we go all in. It means that we have made a response and we go all in with our life. It's not enough this morning to say that he was a good teacher. Amen? It's not enough this morning to say he transformed history. It's not enough this morning to say that he gave some great moral insights into the world. You see, when it comes to Jesus, he is not just our Savior, but he also is our Lord. He is our Lord and Savior. And if he is our Lord, that means we make a response and we give our entire life over to him. And so the question before us is, what is our response to Jesus? Now let's review a little bit so we can kind of move on. Look at verse 16. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. This is review it says and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written in the earlier verses Jesus has had conflict with the enemy there were temptations that were coming his way but Jesus of course did not yield to those temptations and now he has been on a preaching tour all across Galilee and those in Nazareth they had heard about the mighty works of Jesus now you will remember Nazareth is where Jesus brought up was brought up he was born in Bethlehem. They fled for a bit and then came back to the region of Galilee. And he was brought up in the little village of Nazareth. It's thought that Nazareth only had a few hundred people. Think Three to four hundred people. It was a a poor community. The archaeologists have not found any paved roads. They've not found these nice buildings. It was a, a poor and lowly village. But it was at a crossroads. And so there would be transportation that would come through. And so they would know what was going in on in that part of the world. And so they had heard about Jesus. They had heard about his preaching. They had heard about his works. They had heard about some of the miracles that he had performed we don't get a record of that in Luke but word had gotten to them and so when Jesus comes to Nazareth they're excited they are anticipating Jesus's arrival they can't wait to see him and so Jesus is in the synagogue and he he stands up he takes the scroll to the prophet of Isaiah and he begins to read look at verse 18. He reads this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He read from the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah, about the wonderful works that would take place. And he reads from Isaiah and then he begins to teach and he says, today this has happened in your presence. In other words, he's saying, I am the awaited Messiah. I am the one that you have been waiting for. Now, we, we might miss this today, but that's big news. Even for us, they had been waiting on the coming Messiah. The entire Old Testament was pointing towards this day. And Jesus stands up and he makes this proclamation that I am the long-awaited Messiah. And that leads to our focus this morning. What's the response going to be to that? What's the response to Jesus? First thing, many responses to Jesus are transient. Many responses to Jesus are in fact transient. That means that they are not lasting, they're not enduring, and they are not permanent. They are short-lived. Reminds me of a guy who, uh, he was a 49ers football fan. And they made it to the Super Bowl, and he was so excited that months earlier, he bought two tickets, one for him and one for a friend. He saved up lots of money. They were $5,000 apiece, and so he saved his money. He bought these tickets, and he was so excited to go and watch the big game. He forgot, though, that he was to be married on that same day. That was the same day as his wedding. And so he was in a predicament, and he tried to decide what he could do. And so he went to Facebook and he said, I'm looking for somebody who would be willing to take my spot. He said, at three o'clock, be at the First Baptist Church and her name is Tiffany. (laughs) There's a lot of relationships that are temporal, a lot of relationships that don't last very long. This obviously was one of them, but look at the first response to Jesus. Look at verse 22. It says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Jesus taught with such authority. We don't have all the words that he said, but he taught with such authority that the the listeners, they heard and they were amazed at his teaching. They began to whisper to each other, did you hear what he said? I've never heard someone speak like that. He speaks in such a a gracious way. He speaks with with such power. He speaks with such authority. Can this be Jesus? Can this be the the son of of Joseph? And and you might think, well, that's being negative, but maybe it's more in a proud way. Can this really be someone from our little town of, of Nazareth? like if you drive through Lindell today you'll see all the signs that say home of miranda lambert maybe they're just thinking this is amazing i cannot believe that that jesus is from nazareth listen to the way that he is speaking listen to the authority that he has in his mouth and it could be that unbeknownst to us there's a plot that is thickening behind the scenes that we might miss if we're not careful You see, implicit with this recognition of positivity is the expectation that they will reap special benefits from Jesus. They've heard the news. They've heard that Jesus has gone all over. In their presence, they've seen that this man is powerful. This man speaks in a way like we've never heard before. And you know how we are like really selfish people? you are, okay, let me just set you, I am too. We're selfish people and so they begin to think to themselves, how is this gonna benefit me? How is this gonna benefit my life? I cannot wait to see what Jesus is going to do right here. If he's done some good works all over Galilee with these outsiders, can you imagine what he's gonna do right here with us? I remember that time that he was growing up, he came in my home and I fed him lunch. Can you imagine how he's going to bless us? Oh, this is going to be really, really, really good. And so there's positivity, there's excitement, but it's blurred out of their selfishness. Can I just tell you that everybody loves Jesus when he makes their life easier? Don't we? We love Jesus when he makes our life easier. And oftentimes, when you look through your Bible, you're going to find that initially there is a positive experience with Jesus. But that positive experience is short-lived. Can I give you an example of this? I think there's lots of them. But one example of this, the most detailed example, is as the crucifixion of Jesus is drawing nearer. The Lord comes into the town, and you'll remember there are the folks, and they, they are standing up, and they're screaming, Hosanna, 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 and they're waving these palm branches. There's a, a positive energy that's coming with Jesus. They're excited because Jesus has come. But just a few days later, what do those same crowds say? Crucify him, crucify him crucify him they went from one extreme to the polar opposite extreme what happened in this example well palm sunday jesus approached into jerusalem and there were several things that were going on the jews found themselves under heavy roman oppression there were taxes restrictions and executions by means of crucifixion The Jews were looking for someone. They wanted a king, they wanted a political leader. They wanted someone with power who would set them free. And they were aware of Jesus. They had heard that Jesus had restored the sight to those who were blind. They knew that he had healed the ones who could not walk and now they see them all over running around and jumping and dancing. They know the power of Jesus. They knew that he took a little boy's lunch, and with that lunch, he fed a multitude, thousands and thousands of people, think 15, 20,000 people, and word like that travels so quickly. Everybody knew what Jesus had done, and then there's that guy, Lazarus. He was dead, and when I tell you he was dead, I mean he was dead, dead, dead. He'd been dead for a long time. His body was beginning to decay, but we saw him at Walmart last week. And he's up, and he's shopping, and he's pushing that cart. And I was thinking, he was dead, but now he's alive. How does that happen? And the word is that Jesus brought him back to life. And when Jesus teaches, because he goes all over the synagogues, when he teaches, there's so much power and authority. We have never heard anything like it before in our life. And so surely, Jesus is going to be the one who will set us free. And as Jesus comes in, they think, This is the time. This is what we've been waiting on. And the crowd gets larger and larger and larger. And the excitement is everywhere. And they cannot wait because Jesus is going to rid these Romans, get rid of the oppression. He's going to set us up financially, He's going to give us power, He's going to make our life better. But something strange happened Jesus did not gather any troops. Jesus did not lead a revolt. Jesus did not do the things that the crowd expected him to do, but instead, he did the exact opposite. He drove the money changers out of the temple. He taught that giving out of poverty is better than giving out of abundance. He taught that in order to be great in this world, you must be a servant. He did everything that the people did not want him to do, and because of this, the cheering stopped. You see, it's amazing in life that when things go our way, we are so quick to cheer, we're quick to be excited, we're quick to be amused. But listen to me, what about when things don't go your way in life? When things don't go your way in life, then what's your response to Jesus? What about when you look at life and it just didn't turn out the way you had hoped it would? Then what's your response to Jesus? What about when you get a call from the doctor and he says, we need to talk because the news is not good and the prognosis is not long? Then what's your response to Jesus? What about when you've been working so hard for that promotion at your job and you are just doing everything that you can But the promotion goes to someone else. Then what's your response to Jesus? What about when life is just hard and you're trying to make the bills meet and you're trying to do everything you're supposed to do right, but it's just really, really difficult and you look at others and their life seems so easy, but your life really seems hard. When you find yourself there in life, what is your response to Jesus? Too often the cheering comes to a stop because there's a heart change and words of adoration and praise they quickly fade when you face life as it actually is. Often our wants and our desires blur our vision to our real needs. The people need a savior but they want a political leader. Today the same thing happens to us. Listen, if you perceive that your greatest need is financial then you will look through the Bible and you will find verses that try to help you financially and you'll miss the point of Jesus. If you perceive that your greatest need is health, then you will twist Scripture and find a way to have long-lasting health and you'll miss the point of Jesus. If you believe that our greatest need is social justice, then you will bend Scripture and you will look for a revolution. But listen, your greatest need is not financial. Your greatest need is not your health. Your greatest need is not some social revolution. Your greatest need is a savior. Amen? Your greatest problem is sin, and the answer to that is a savior, and that is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And too often, folks miss that, and they want to be so excited when their life is going down the track they want, but when things get off the rails, then they leave Jesus so quickly. Cheering praising, exalting, but then the cheering stopped. Back in Luke chapter 4, they expect Jesus to do some great things. He's worked good all over Galilee. Now it's our turn. And so they begin to talk. They begin to whisper. They're excited about what's going on, but it doesn't last. Next thing I want you to see is many responses are tainted, tainted. Look at verses 23 and 24. It says, And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Everything seems to be going well. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a a worship service service? and it was like boring and dead. You can be honest in church, we have, haven't we? I mean, you've experienced that, I've experienced that. This one is not like that. Jesus is teaching everybody's on the edge of their seats, nobody's asleep, you know, that's, that's a victory. When you're preaching and folks are not asleep, that is a huge victory. And I think Most of you look awake, so we're gonna call this a victory, but things are going really, really well in life. People are excited, they're anticipating what's to come next. But then it's like Jesus throws a big wrench in the midst of things. There's all these amens, people are saying amen, glory, hallelujah, they're, they're going, but everything changes based upon the words of Jesus. You would think that Jesus squanders this incredible opportunity before him. But you know what Jesus is not? Jesus is not like a lot of churches today. There's a lot of churches today and they will do whatever it takes to draw a big crowd. You want some smoke, some fog? We'll fog it up in here. You want me to preach for 10 minutes? We'll we'll preach for 10 minutes and I'll stop. You want this type of music? We'll do it. You want churches will do anything to give the people what they want. You know what Jesus does? He gives the people what they need. He doesn't give them what they want. And so here they are, and they're going through, and they're excited, and they're happy. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing the point. See, I know what you're thinking. I can see through the outside. I can see through the fake smiles. I know that you are missing the point on this. And Jesus realizes that he is on a divine mission from God. When you're on a divine mission from God, all of a sudden, everything else is secondary. He doesn't have to have everybody like him in life. Amen? everybody's not gonna like you everybody's not gonna like what you do but if you're doing what God has called you to do then you are right where you need to be and so Jesus is walking with authority because he knows that he's in the center of the will of God he's on a divine mission and that mission is to advance the kingdom of God and I'll just remind you you and I we have the same mission in life So he sees past the ulterior motives. We don't have time to look at this, but in John chapter two, the Bible says that there are some and they believe in Jesus, but then it says that Jesus did not believe in their belief. They believed, but it wasn't a true belief. It wasn't a genuine belief. It was a superficial, shallow belief, and it was not enough for them. And that's kind of what we see here in Luke chapter 4. We see that their their view is tainted because they want to see signs, they want to see wonders, they want to see miracles, they want the benefits, but they have a misinformed understanding of the work and the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 Verses 24 and 25. The question before us is, what's your response to Jesus? Matthew 16, 24 and 25, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Or whoever would save his life will lose it But whoever loses his life For my sake will find it Listen to me my friends If we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ It's going to change our life Amen It's not that we add Jesus to a part of our life And then we go on like normal It's not that we make these compartments And I've got my, my Jesus side My work side, my family side It means that Jesus comes in And he transforms every part Every detail of our existence. And when that happens in our life, there will be changes. And that's why when the Lord is working in your heart, you you must answer the call. What's your response? You must surrender. And and, and that's something that you've got to do with a full heart. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to have Brother Aaron come up here and sing 20 stanzas of a song. I'm not gonna to try to play on your emotions to make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. If God's working in your heart, then you better answer that, you better think about it, you better count the cost, and you better respond in the way that he leads you because that's biblical. And so he gives this proverb. Proverb, physician, heal yourself. And it could be that they're thinking a couple of things. It could be that they're thinking, you know what? You're saying you've got all this power and all this authority but you still look poor you look like your life is kind of hard before you say you've got all of this why don't you fix yourself that could be but more than likely they're thinking this if you really have all this power if you really have all this authority then why don't you show it to us right here we want to see more we want to see what you're going to do for us what you're going to do in our life And Jesus continues, look verse 24. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus has come to Nazareth not to put on a show for his friends and his neighbors. He's reminded that prophets throughout the entire Old Testament, they are not accepted in their hometown. That's true for Isaiah. It's true for Jeremiah. It's true for Ezekiel and Micah and Amos. God's message is often met with rejection. Now look at verse 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. When Elijah was there, there was a famine. God was holding off the rain. Elijah did not go to the Jewish people. He went to an outsider. He went to an outsider, and do you remember? She had no food. She had no food, and Elijah said, can I have a little bit of food? And in faith, the woman gave her some of his food and some of her food and then God blessed supernaturally and gave an abundance. There was a response in faith, not a response in you do for me, give me my needs, give me my benefits. The woman responded in faith. And so Jesus is contrasting her response to the people in front of him. Now look at verse 27. And there were many lepers in Israel. In the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Uh, None of the Jewish people were healed, but instead Naaman, who would have been an enemy, and do you remember he got the word from God to go down to the water? and to dip a few times and in faith he had to go he had to trust the word from god and he had to dip and because of that he was healed again a man who responded in faith at the words of the one sent by god not just for the blessings but actual belief which led to action and so there's a contrast to the the folks in front of him and the ones in the old testament And then there's a similarity between the Jewish folks in the Old Testament and the Jewish folks in front of him right now. They're wicked. They are self-seeking. And that does not honor God. So some responses are transient. They're here now and then they're gone. Some are tainted by their own personal desires. And lastly, many responses are transformative. Look at verses 28 through 30. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town. And they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. They understood the message very clearly. And the Bible says they were filled with rage and they were filled with wrath. Jesus just said that we are great sinners jesus just said that if we don't turn our faith he's going to go to the gentiles jesus compared us to one of the most wicked times in human history and all of a sudden that joy they had at the beginning it is transformed to great anger that leads them to want to kill jesus do you know when you look at your bible catch this it's important when you look through the rest of the book of luke It's believed that Jesus never went back to Nazareth again. Because they rejected him, he went to others. He never went back again. Their rejection was final. It was authoritative in their life. It transformed them. It took them out of the presence of the one true living God. As we close, I want you to think about your life. What is your response to Jesus? You're exposed to him week after week. You're exposed to the scriptures. Could it be that in your life, you have a love and a devotion, but it's only there when things are good and when things get tough, you won't be here any longer? Could that be true? You see, the question is not, are you here today? The question is, will you be found faithful next year? Will you be found faithful five years from now? Will you be found faithful for the rest of your life? Could it be that we're driven by desires and we have made Jesus more like us? And in doing so, we become less like Jesus. Could it be that your response to Jesus is tainted by the circumstances around you? Instead of being on the authority of the word of God, it's tainted by the things around you because every time we respond to the Lord Jesus Christ it's transformative it transforms us it makes us either closer to him or it drives us away from him as we close think about this verse Matthew 7 says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven for on that day many will say Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's going to be a day of judgment, and every one of us will stand before God. And every one of us will stand before God based upon our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you notice in those verses, it didn't say a few. What was the word it said? Many, a, a lot. There will be many who will say, Lord, but we did a lot of good things. Lord, we were faithful in church. Lord, we preached, preachers. We taught a life group. We drove a bus. We did all these mighty works. And then he will say, depart from me, for I never, I never knew you. You never responded. You never had a genuine relationship with me. Do you know as a preacher what what I want more than anything? I want to make sure that in this room we have a proper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine on that day when you could hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. There's no second chance. There's no do-over. There's no try again. The time has come, the time has gone, your response is not adequate, and you will be separated from God for all of eternity. That's what the Bible says. So we've gotta make sure that we have responded in the way that the Lord has led us. There's a lot of disciples later on in the book, in John six, and Jesus did not play their games, and so the Bible says they begin to leave. And Jesus turns to them and he says, do you wanna go away as well? Do you want to leave me too and simon peter answered lord to whom shall we go for you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the holy one of god lord we come to you and we ask god that that would be true of our life lord that there will be many who will come many that will leave but lord that we would be found faithful Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, I pray that in this moment right now, we will look at our life. We'll begin to evaluate our response to you. Lord, if there's anyone here who has responded inadequately to your calling, Lord, I pray that today is the day of salvation. I pray that there will be hearts this morning that you are calling, God, hearts that you're calling to be saved. And there will be an answer, a response. Lord, for those of us who are saved, I pray that we'll realize that you come to transform our lives. Our life won't necessarily be easy because we follow you, but we will have joy. We will have peace. We'll have purpose. We'll have a reason to live. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll put on our hearts that we are on a mission, a divine mission to advance your kingdom. Lord, let us to remember our first love and to serve you with all that we are. Lord, if there's someone who's looking for a church home and this is the place, I pray that they will respond, God. They'll respond faithfully. We're just asking for obedience. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. All to Jesus.